finding a qualified tenant, helping them find a house that they like, and then we make sure that they will be able to afford it. But at this point, they are a renter when we move them into the house. They have a contract with us for when they're purchasing it, and then we help them purchase it in three years. So in a sense, they're kind of a homeowner in training. Um, It has to be a win for the tenant, has to be a win for the investor, and for myself as the rent-home provider. Hey, investors. You are listening to the Investing to Win podcast, the show dedicated to empowering investors to achieve financial freedom and live your best life. This show is committed to offering honest conversation between investors, common sense strategies, real-time market updates, and professional guidance to achieving financial freedom. Investing doesn't have to be super hands-on or complicated. We are all about passive investments with real gain, so you have freedom of time and money. Your host is none other than Garrett Wong, who brings decades of experience in buying, renovating, and managing cash flow investment properties. Thanks for being here and get ready to invest to win. Hello, investment community. This is Garrett Wong, your host of the Investing to Win podcast. I just finished a really fascinating interview with Donna Cook, 20 years in real estate, and we're showcasing today a special asset class, rent-to-own properties. Donna has a unique way of approaching rent-to-owns and turning them into a win-win for all parties involved. And winning is really what this podcast is all about. Get a pen and paper because there's a ton of value here. Hello, investor community. This is Garrett Wong, your host of the Investing to Win podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Donna Cook, a local real estate investor, and we're going to be discussing rent-to-owns today. Donna, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Why don't we uh, start really at the basics? If you could maybe tell us uh, or the audience a little bit about yourself, you know, your story and your background. Okay. Well, I've been investing on my own since 2009, but I do come from a real estate family. My dad was a builder. He was a landlord. And actually, before he even defined it, he did rent to own. He would just help people out. And maybe they had been a renter and he just tried to, you know, say, hey, how about we put some money towards that house? And um, he carried the mortgage and uh, and then they bought it in the end. And so basically that was a rent to own. But it was never defined that way. <laughs> oh, so maybe he was one of the early pioneers. I think so. <laughs> so, I mean... So you're growing up sort of in a real estate family, like you, so he was doing rent-to-owns and some what, rentals? Well, basically he was a builder. So, okay. you know, just the odd time. And then he had rental property. So the odd time, you know, you might get someone that is willing or wants to be a homeowner and needs a little help. And that's what he would do. Um, he managed quite a few properties or he did, uh, like he was a contractor, so did all kinds of renovations on uh, for people. Um, all over the city. And he built a lot of houses in Stony Mountain and Stonewall. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, what about your personal real estate story? You know, tell us, when did you start? What does your portfolio look like today? Well, I, I was, um, I had a business while my kids were growing up and that was like a accounting bookkeeping service. And uh, actually I did it for um, 
property managers as well. And then in 2009, um, I started flipping houses with my son, and we did quite a few houses then. And and then we also started our uh, rental portfolio then. As you remember, we bought one from you. and <laughs> That um, goes back a long time. Exactly. And then uh, just got into some other um, strategies. You know, we did a couple of conversions and, uh, you know, uh, do, or single family into a duplex. We built some cottages and... Uh, uh, did burrs and uh, like I said, some were just uh, absolute flips. We sold them off and um, and then but started building up the real estate uh, rental portfolio after that. And then also my son has his own business now with uh, my other son, and so I'm doing it myself. And then also looking towards land development a bit, but my main niche is rent to own. Okay, so. That's a lot of stuff. I think let's put some context on it. How long have you been investing in real estate? If you could estimate it. I think the very first rental was probably about 2005. Okay. So almost 20 years. And how many, how many uh, I guess, transactions, deals do you, do you, I mean, ballpark it for us, right? I, I, I think I'm trying to yeah. establish you know, some credibility here. Um, you haven't been in it for a year and you have one flip to your name. You know, you mentioned you know, land deals and a whole bunch of other things, but, you know, put us, give us some context. You know, I haven't looked at it lately, but I know a couple of years ago I looked and I figured we had done about 60 um, wow. as far as flips or some maybe were, you know, kept as a, like a burr. Um, and then now I have more rental rent to owns too that we I've just purchased and with a joint venture partner and not done any renovations on. Okay. Wow. Well, I mean, I, I kind of spoiled it for the audience at the beginning. I brought you on the podcast because you specialize in rent to own properties and I personally like your philosophy on it. So for our audience, can you please define what a rent to own property is? Well, it's the way we do it, there's lots of different ways to do it. But for me, it's uh, finding a qualified tenant, um, helping them find a house that they like, and then we make sure that they will be able to afford it. But at this point, they are a renter. When we move them into the house, they have a contract with us for when they're purchasing it, and then we help them purchase it in three years. So in a sense, they're kind of a homeowner in training. Okay. Um, so typical contract length with you is around three years. What, I mean, what does the industry do? Is that kind of average or does it depend? I think it depends where you are too, because some of the higher uh, markets, you know, Ontario, quite often they go five years and I don't want to do that. I feel like I want to help them get them in and out, you know? So talk about the, uh, talk to me about the, um, you know, advantages and disadvantages of a shorter versus a longer contract length? What are, what are we trying to achieve here with a rent to own? Well, shorter contract uh, usually means as an investor, we're making a little bit less money. And then, of course, it's good for the rent to own client as long as they can do everything they need to in those two years. But I've only had one at two years and the most are three we look at um, what needs to be done with their credit or also saving for that deposit because, you know, if you do it in a shorter time, that's uh, more they have to put aside every month. Okay. 
I did a little bit of research pre-show, but uh, again, this is a more of an educational podcast. So I, I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into the weeds on what you just said. So a shorter contract, you mentioned less money for the investor, kind of maybe works out better for the rent-to-own client, the tenant. What, what do we mean there? Like when you say less money, we're talking profit then. Yeah, because part of your profit is the cash flow uh, or the mortgage pay down. So the longer you have a property, you get a little bit more of that. But, you know, we're making sure that it's a win-win-win no matter what the length is. Um, it has to be a win for the tenant, has to be a win for the investor and for myself as the rent-to-own provider. Okay. So I'm an investor. I'm thinking of getting into rent-to-owns. Maybe I partner with you. Maybe I don't. Maybe I've, I've you know, gone on YouTube and learned how to do this. There is obviously a rental component. I imagine there's a purchase price. How do you determine a purchase price? It's based on today's value? Uh, it, no, it'll be the value in the three years. And we're looking at the market. What's it been doing the last five years? You know, where's it located? Where do we think that market is going? And, um, you know, it's a discussion with our, our uh, realtor as well. And, um, and it has to make sense. And we want to know, too, that, you know, of course, there's no 100% guarantee in real estate, but we're not setting it too high that it's not going to um, um, get qualified for at that price in three years. Okay. So, I mean, nobody has a crystal ball, so we have to use history. How, how are we determining that? Are you using a percentage model or? Yeah, mostly looking at a percentage. And, um, but historically, Winnipeg is a very stable market. And even the last couple of years with all the price spikes and that, we were still able to buy good. You know what I mean? Like we just didn't go into those bidding wars. We, or, you know, or maybe we did, but it's still, we didn't go crazy. We still had to buy it at a decent price, you know? And and, uh, you know, you want a good starting point for that client and then make sure that it does appreciate properly and it's going to uh, appraise for that in the three-year term. Right, right. Okay. So that's kind of where the knowledge base and the experience comes from. Um, Pre-show, you had mentioned, you know, that you're using a percentage, uh, I guess, based on history of what, I guess, what real estate appreciates at every year? Is that a, like a national average or do you use a Winnipeg average? Winnipeg and that area and, um, you know, depending on what we bought it for. And what, sure. Yeah. I know. guess area so, is important too. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Are there any different types of houses that this works better for or neighborhoods? Well, I'm doing all of them in a good neighborhood. Um, I don't want to be in an area we're concerned about. Uh, we're only buying houses that are in good shape. Not only are we worried about, let's say, the three years, but we want it to be a good investment for the tenant once they're out of the program. In general, we're looking at a three-bedroom, two-bath, full-basement garage. And then if for some reason that it doesn't work out, then we still have plan B and C, you know, if we wanted to sell it or, you know, rent-own it to someone else or, you know, whatever. And then I'm, I have them in Winnipeg, but also in the surrounding communities too. If it's a vibrant community that's growing and they're close to a big center, let's say, you know, I consider Steinbeck a bigger center and or if it's close to the city. Okay. So you have 
when I say client, sometimes I think about my investors from my my other company, my management company. But when you say client, you're you're speaking about a rent to own tenant, right? Yeah. Okay, so they are. When I asked about areas, I mean, really, that's a determining factor too, because you have a client who wants to basically purchase a house. This is a house purchase for them, even though it's structured as a rental, at least for a shorter period of time from the investor, right? Right. And we're looking at areas, we're looking at what can they afford, what are their needs, and we want to make sure we get something that they need or else they're not going to stay in it. And it has to work for their family. And then sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes we find something right away. And and then usually they have an area they like, let's say, because of schools or work or something. And so we try to get that as well. Okay. Let's talk about the client side for a second, the tenant. Who would want a rent to own rather than a typical, hey, I'm going to go out and buy a house. Why don't you walk me through that? It's going to be someone that has not been able to save up for their down payment yet. So if they have 10000 now and, you know, let's say with the house they're going to purchase, they actually need 25000 Well, then over those three years, they'll be able to save that 15000 the difference. Um, it could be someone that's self-employed and doesn't have their two years history yet. Uh, could be someone new to the country. And, uh, you know, maybe someone just going through a divorce, you know, hasn't worked out everything or um, someone with poor credit, you know, maybe they had some glitches and then we'll help them work through that and fix that by the time they're um, going for their mortgage financing. Okay. So that's, uh, you referred to that a few minutes ago, that maybe two years as a contract link isn't long enough. So you're also referring to the ability to repair somebody's credit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know that uh, I had alluded to that at the beginning of the podcast when I introduced you, Um, but why don't you tell us your unique kind of strategy and how you counsel your clients? I I find that uh, very fascinating. Well, we have a couple people, but we do have a mortgage broker. She does their initial um, assessment And so we're looking at, can they afford the rent and the option payment right now? And then also, what do they need to do? And with their wage and, you know, where their credit is and their debt, what can they afford in three years? So she does that initial assessment. And then once we all uh, come to an agreement on where we're at with that, she will counsel them through the three-year process. She keeps checking on them. And then we also have someone else that will do um, more of the budget work with them. They have workshops that they can go to on just in general finances like insurance and, you know, how, how that all works, uh, budgeting and goals and um, goal setting. And then we keep track of their uh, credit report, too. So they have to track it just on the free reports like Borrow Well or Credit Karma. And then about once a year, we're going to check in as well, too, and make sure it's um, on track, getting better. And sometimes there's a you know a mistake or a mistake with Equifax. We can fix that. Or we also make sure that they have to check in with us and don't go buy a car or something. And then that, you know, that wrecks their chance of getting a mortgage. Yeah. You know what? I think our, our listeners will really find that perspective valuable because when you talk about it's not just enough to repair somebody's credit they got into this situation 
for whatever reason. So you're also teaching habits. Exactly. Yeah. And we're looking at people that maybe had a life situation or, you know, maybe they were crazy, but that's behind them. You right. know, uh, you know, we just we need to have the type of people that are willing to work at it and they have to have that right attitude and be willing to learn. Yeah, it, it truly seems like a win-win for, for yeah, all parties involved. Exactly. So you have an investor who has a property. Um, they're negotiating with a client, a tenant. They are going to be getting a monthly rent for a contract length period, where, let's say three years, right? If I can summarize that. They're going to have a future purchase price. So there's a bit of profit in there. And they also have the benefit of this whole mortgage being paid down for an additional three years. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So maybe I think I understand this, but I'm going to ask this for the benefit of the audience. So there's rent, but like you said, they have to build up this down payment, whatever that amount is. So how do, how do you do that on a, on a rental contract? Well, it's not part of the rental contract. It's completely separate. So we do have, uh, you know, just a standard rental agreement and condition report and that. And then separate from that and it's a three-year term we don't raise the rents and then the separate from that we have what's called an option to purchase agreement and then in that agreement it shows everything that's expected of them and expected of us and it'll tell it in it it shows what their purchase price is in three years that's never going to change even if the prices went up 50,000 or whatever, you know, it's still going to be that price. And then it shows how much they have for their deposit now, and then how much they have to save over those three years. And they have to pay us that amount monthly. So then we know, you know, we have it and they're ready to go when they got come to the end of their term. Okay. So you had mentioned, you know, you want people who don't necessarily have the entire down payment. You used the example $10,000. Um, and let's say that, I mean, I don't know what loan to value ratios we're talking about here. Like would a rent to own client have to put down 20% or are they putting down less? Like what would you typically see depending on conditions? They're doing, uh, well, we like to collect 3% of the purchase price. And then uh, once we get them to the mortgage financing, we're having them save 7%, so 5% down. And then we save 2% for the closing costs for them. Unless because of credit or whatever, you know, special situation, we may have them save 10% for that, uh, for that mortgage financing. Okay. So for a $300,000 house, they're going to have to come up with over a period of three years about 10% of that, which is 30,000. Mm -hmm. 10,000 in your particular business is upfront. So now they're splitting up a $20,000 option of down payment, whatever you want to call it over 36 months. So if I, I can't do the math on that, but, uh, but it's several hundred dollars more per month over and above the rent. Okay. So how how can a typical person afford that, or is this one of the unique things of of the a, a proper properly qualified rent to own client? Well, they all have a good job for sure. You, you know, they have to have the correct income, and like you said, they have to be able to afford this. And so that's why we help them with their budget, and uh, you know, see what should they be paying off first if there's some credit things to pay down and just make a, a proper plan and they have to follow it. 
And if they don't have the income, then it just doesn't work. Okay. So again, summarizing from my own brain, and I'm taking notes here, an ideal rental, a rent-to-own client then has decent income. Uh, they have the right intentions for whatever reason. They either don't have the entire down payment or something in their previous life, either a breakup, separation, or maybe they were just young, has ruined their credit and they can't um, have a typical mortgage right now. They then find you, find the house of their dreams, right? Because this is all, you're not just putting them into a house. They, they're actually looking for a house that works for them. And then at the end of that, you've now repaired their credit to the point that they can qualify for a mortgage on their, on their own. Um, and you have the down payment already ready. Um, so now all they have to do is basically qualify and they're already in the house and everything is a win-win. Right. And of course, then there's the investor as part of it too, because yes. they're helping buy that house. Yeah. So yeah, on the investor side, they're providing the house. Maybe they are Maybe they've renovated it so that it is very, you know, desirable for this person. And, uh, okay. So when I'm thinking about it as from an investor point of view, I'm still collecting rent. I still have a tenant. I still have a lease agreement. And yet they're going to be buying the house in the future. Who handles maintenance and rent? Uh, the tenant does. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And the way I set it up too is I'm working with joint venture partners. So as the rent home provider, I provide all the contracts. You know, I have uh, everything in place. We keep keep up with what's going on in the industry because things change. You never know. CMHC may change their rules tomorrow, and we have to keep up with that on how they are qualifying. And um, I do find the rent home tenant first because I, like I said, I feel like they will be likely to stay in the house longer if they are able to pick their house. Um, I have a realtor specific for that we work with. She works with them to find the house. And then I bring in a, an investor and uh, they qualify for the mortgage. And then I manage everything. So I will manage the house, uh, the tenant and the investment, you know, with collecting rents and paying the mortgages and paying out the uh, cash flow. Okay. Is it very typical for the tenant to handle maintenance and rent to own? Uh, very typical. Okay. Yes. So that's typical. But I mean, how do you, what happens if the roof goes or the furnace or that's something big? Is there, are there limitations to it? Yeah. Well, what we do is to, for first, we're buying a house that likely that's not going to happen. So far it hasn't, you know, but uh, you never know what could happen. And then if the furnace went, well, then we will purchase a new furnace, you know, myself and the investor, but then that gets added on to their purchase price because now their house has a brand new furnace. It's worth know. more. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And something like a roof, you know, I don't think that's going to come up because, you know, we know what we're it's looking predictable, at. Yeah. Right. And we, we do get a home inspection as well, too. So we want the uh, tenant to agree to the home inspection. They agree with everything that has come up because no home inspection is perfect. And then also our investor has to agree to it as well. Okay. So if I'm an investor wanting to get into this asset class, it sounds to me like I'm going to be doing myself a favor to be looking for a property that is distressed. So that's no different than trying to flip something or maybe a burr. But then I want to fix everything up to purchase quality and also make sure the bones of the property have already been fixed so I don't have any surprises later. 
Uh, for myself, like uh, when I work with my joint venture partners, they don't do any of that. I will do that if okay. it's needed. Right. Um, I'll take the risk on that. But most of ours, we're just buying uh, as is okay. uh, because we're buying good properties. You can do more that way. Um, just buy. Uh, there's lots of houses out sure. there that don't need anything. And if it needs a little paint or whatever, they can do it. But uh, most of the time, it's just an as is house. Yeah, I guess. Uh if I was paying attention, you did mention a realtor and, and they're going around with, with your clients. So you're kind of finding these clients that fit the model that's going to work for you. And they're choosing whatever houses, obviously they're not going to choose something that maybe they can't see past, you know, stinky floors and, right, exactly. and paint. So they're looking at the same houses that anybody else would, except you're helping them um, achieve their goals in three to five years. And they may do a little bit of an upgrade themselves too. They can do that. You know, it's their house, basically. Um, but, you know, they can have animals, they can paint the walls, they can do different things. And if they want to upgrade something a little bit more, uh, they just have to check in with us and make sure it's done correctly and as to permits and, uh, you know, if that's what's needed. So, again, contracts and paperwork, protect yourself. You know, don't do this on a handshake, yes. right? <laughs> Well, that's why you want to work with someone that knows what they're doing, because that's where rent owns don't go well, is if they're not done properly or not with the contract or, you know, somebody's not taking care of that tenant and their finances. Did you know that there is a big difference between investing in real estate and becoming a real estate investor? People become real estate investors all the time. They get into a flip or conversion project or even dealing with long-term tenants. And they come back to us to tell us the same thing. It's like having another full-time job. I don't know about you, but that's not what we call investing. Investing in real estate is about having your money work for you in a way that is passive, consistent, most importantly, hands-off. So which one are you? Do you want to be a real estate investor or do you want to invest in real estate? For those that are open to investing in real estate and having your money work for you, Listen up. Garrett Wong has spent decades helping thousands of property owners navigate the ins and outs of property investing and management through his award-winning company, Upper Edge Property Management. Their new division, Upper Edge Capital, is currently involved in multiple projects, from single-family flips to multifamily development. Are you looking for a healthy return on your invested capital or perhaps becoming a joint venture partner? If so, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to book a time to speak with Garrett and his team to see if there is a fit. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. Now, back to the show. Okay, so that is interesting because let's talk about the risks. Um, not even the risks, but... I would like to explore that for a second. What are the nightmare scenarios? What can happen and go wrong in a typical rent-to-own? Well, I haven't had any nightmares. Uh, you know, I've had a couple of challenges on that. But uh, what have you heard, though? I mean, certainly, well, I've heard nightmare stories. I've heard more nightmares. I think from the investor part of it, of the contract not working out, not being right. You know, things like that, and. We have that contract and that's, um, it's, that's the way it is. That's what they're buying it for. Um, and it lays out everything that everybody is expected to do to make this uh, the win-win situation. 
yes, and of course, there's no guarantee that with this tenant, we do a lot of upfront work. And, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, qualifying them. And there's not 100% guarantee that they are going to be the right tenant, but they do have that deposit upfront. So they have, uh, they could lose it if they're going to do something like wreck the house. And then those that deposit will go to those repairs. But the other thing too that could happen is, you know, a life change and they don't buy the house. Well, we will give them a portion of that deposit back. You know, sometimes life happens and yes, they've broken a contract, but then, you know, maybe we can all still make it a win-win and work through that. And then if that's the case and they didn't buy it and we gave them a portion of their deposit back, then it's up to me and our investor to decide, okay, what's our plan B now? Do we want to go get another rent-owned tenant? Do we want to sell it? Do we want to rent it? There's uh, all kinds. Well, you know, that's what's great about real estate. There's all kinds of different strategies. No, for sure. And um, I mean, if you can negotiate that with your tenant or maybe, you know, depending how your contract's written, it's written in stone and these are the consequences. But from what you're saying, somebody just deciding to change their mind, I guess life happens and you kind of, every situation's different. Right. Yeah. And and somebody we had actually did a, a better job than what we, anybody expected, you know, got a new job. They got, you know, more rent or um, higher income. They fixed their credit faster and they ended up buying a house in a different area, which was their first choice before, but they couldn't afford it. So we gave them a portion back and they, you know, win-win for them. They got into that area they really loved. Um, myself and my investor, we put a little bit of money into a renovation on the basement and then we sold it and it actually went for more than what we were originally going to sell for in another uh, couple of years. Okay. What happens at the end of the contract if they've damaged something in the house? But I mean, it's their house technically, as long as they're qualifying for it. As long as they qualify and it appraises properly. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, okay. and, and, you know, we're checking on it anyway. Uh, we'll know if something's going on like that. And uh, I've not had anyone damage anything because, you know, they want to buy it. It's their house. Well, you're also vetting them properly. I think what I'm thinking about is, you know, no disrespect if you're listening out there, audience, if this is you. <laughs> and I, I was like that too on my first rental. You, you buy a rental, you think, how easy can it be? You know, throw an ad on Kijiji or Facebook. They seem like a good person when you're, you know, walking through. You use your gut, so to speak, and you handshake an agreement. And six months later, they haven't paid you in four months. And you go in there and now you've got junk hauling and everything else and animals. I guess the same thing can happen in a rent to own if you're not doing your, your due diligence. It could, but then they have that deposit, that $10,000 or their monthly deposits. Like they're not going to get that. It's not going to go towards a, you know, a purchase if they're damaging the house and not paying rent. And so then we could evict them on non-payment of rent, just like a regular tenant. But um, like I said, everybody is so happy to be in a home. And most of the time, their families. We had one family that they um, are foster parents. And they are third generation in the same rental house. And it's just crazy. And so we were able to get them into a home that they love um, in a smaller community and uh, break that rental cycle. Wow. 
Yeah. No, like I love this because it is that win-win component. It's not just, you know, sometimes investors and landlords get a bad name, you know, the big bad landlord and always wanting your rent increases. This seems like a really good strategy. So um, let's talk for a second about qualifying for a mortgage in three years. Um, I know you've touched on it. How, how does somebody with poor credit actually qualify for a mortgage in three short years? Like how fast can somebody really repair their beacon score? Maybe they've had a bankruptcy. Does it happen that quickly? It can. It, you know, again, that's my mortgage broker and credit advisor telling us what can be done and how fast. Usually they're past the situation, but maybe they are in a consumer proposal and it's getting finished off. And, you know, ideally we want them to have two years after the consumer proposal is done. And, uh, and then you have to establish new credit and the bank wants to see that, you know, they want new credit with, let's say, uh, you know, a bank credit card, not the capital one. Okay. All right. So for an investor wanting to get into this investment strategy, what are some of the challenges that you've faced in the past in the early days? Um, I think the hardest is getting the right client, the right tenant buyer. And um, just over time, you know, we've come up with, uh, you know, procedures and we just follow those, that system all the way through. And if they don't meet any of those, that criteria, then, you know, we move on to someone else that's going to, uh, it's going to work out for them. And, and it's a challenge finding a house too, sometimes too, you know, especially the last couple of years, uh, there's just not enough on the market and uh, it can take a little bit longer, but, uh, you know, we just stick to it. We've got lots of connections and usually find something. So, yeah, if you're buying on market, you're also competing with, I mean, last year, there were multiple offers and things like that. I guess it's no different. Yeah. And then you have connections. So sometimes a realtor will bring you something off market and that sort of thing. And so that certainly helps when you've been in business for a while and you have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, people in your network. Yeah. What do they say? Your network is your net worth. I right. Think, I think, yeah. That's I think yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I do a lot of networking. <laughs> well, it is really who you know. Um, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, right? Okay. So you mentioned joint venture partners. Do JVs view rent-to-owns and those opportunities any differently? Yes, because once they understand what it's about, I have people coming to me, they just want to help people. And that's great. You know, they're somewhere in their their portfolio and they have room for, you know, to do some rent-to-owns and they love helping people. But in the end, we're still making money. It's still an investment. It still has to be done properly, but they just have that little extra that they want to help people. Uh, they also like that the the renovations are paid by the tenant. There is no realtor fees and no vacancies. And so you just have a little better um, uh, cash flow. I guess it's predictable and a l- probably a lot more stable because you have a tenant for three years with, you know, um, windfall as well. Exactly. And, you know, we have that right tenant. And, uh, and then as for the investor, I'm taking care of it. So it's completely passive to them once they have purchased uh, the home and, you know, put um, secured the mortgage. I do have a lot of people coming to me from places like Ontario and BC, where, you know, their housing is a million dollars, where here, you know, everything we have right now is around 
you know, 150 or, uh, or 350. So they could buy like pretty well two, three houses here compared to their own uh, um, uh, provinces. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, you also get, uh, you know, the market as well. And you have that client list. You find there's a waiting list of, of tenant clients trying to find houses. We have uh, quite a list right now, and they're all in different stages of getting qualified. And, you know, sometimes you wait for them to send their documents in or the odd time, like we have a couple that were saying, okay, give us a call in three months because we just want them to be a little more stable in their job. And then we're still ready to keep going. But, you know, we just need a little bit more from them because we want someone that we know well, or feel that they will, they are in a stable job and they're not going to lose it in a month down the road. Okay. Are you um, in other provinces with rent to owns or just Manitoba right now? We're starting to look into Alberta. We have a couple of applications there. Um, We've had a few applications from Ontario as well, but mostly Manitoba. And like I said, we probably will go into that uh, Edmonton area because their pricing is similar to ours. Okay, very nice. Well, I mean, we're going to be throwing your contact information in the show notes. So audience, if you have any off-market deals, I'm sure Donna mm-hmm. would love to would love to hear about it. Let's talk about lenders, though. Do lenders view rent-to-owns any differently? They don't know anything about rent-to-own, really. They, this is a rental property because we do have a mortgage or a, uh, a lease in place. We don't know 100% that the person is going to buy it. So it truly is a rental and that's just the way they qualify for the mortgage. Um, the one advantage though, is we do have a tenant right away. You know, I know banks don't like financing a vacant property and that's never the case. We always have that tenant there. Okay. Yeah. They're ready to go. And then on the exit strategy, I guess in three years, it's just somebody who's trying to buy a house. It doesn't really matter whether it's rent to own or not. Right. And it depends how we do it. Uh, sometimes we do say it's a rent to own, but if we're finding that it's a little bit harder doing that right now, then we'll just um, do it as a, a regular purchase, make sure the deposit's in an account for three months, and then they go and purchase it. And, and another way we get people coming to us actually is through uh, maybe a realtor has someone trying to qualify for a house that they've uh, the realtor's shown them and they don't qualify. So a realtor can bring them, their clients to us. Uh, same thing with a mortgage broker. They may have uh, a client that doesn't quite qualify. And so they send them to us and then we can qualify them as a rent to own. Okay. Well, I mean, it seems like you're concentrating on the strategy because it works for you. I mean, you've done seems like almost everything across the spectrum in terms of asset classes and flips and burrs. And you, I think you mentioned vacant land as well. So yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. I, I'd like to transition a little bit because um, it is a real estate podcast, but I, I like to ask business questions if we have time. But you've been in the real estate industry for, for quite a while. How have you seen it change in the past five years or even 10 years? Well, I guess the market's gone up and down. Uh, you know, we have when we started flipping, we, we couldn't get the house out fast enough, and, uh, and and they were gone. And then then we went through a little bit of a slower stage. And so you just, I think you can uh, sell a house in any market. Just do it right, buy it right, 
do the right renovations, don't price it too high, and um, you can sell it. I think we can sell here at any time of the year. Uh, for sure, more houses sell in spring than winter, but I've sold houses on Christmas Eve. And, um, it's all supply and demand, right? Exactly. But then, of course, this last couple of years with these crazy interest rates, which has never happened in history, you know, you just have to pivot and uh, do your research and keep going. And all our rent to owns do cash flow. We aren't we never do negative cash flow, um, so that is, I guess, a bit of a di- a, an advantage over maybe a regular rental property. You know, we're coming into this, and we're making sure our costs are all covered in the rent. Right. Yeah, you're not necessarily, you know, if the market rents take a dip for whatever reason, you're choosing that, and you're making sure that all the parties agree to it, including that option fee, and that they can afford it. So everything's very, very stable. I love it. Okay, so you grew up as a real estate person um, watching your dad. Um, what, I mean, I, I normally ask, what do you, you know, wish you would have known before you started doing real estate, but you kind of had a bit of an advantage there. Is there anything that you saw growing up that you were like, I'm not going to do that if I become big in real estate? Anything like that? Well, he managed all his properties, so that's why I've had a property manager. <laughs> I saw what that was like, and uh, I didn't really want to do that. I have managed mine off and on, and uh, uh, it's not something I particularly enjoy, but I guess I think everybody should do it uh, just to uh, see what it's like, and then they appreciate people like you that <laughs> are a property management company. They realize what you go through, uh, and I wish I had bought houses sooner. You know, I, when my kids were growing up, I had a business and I didn't really get into real estate that much at that time. So, uh, you know, like everybody says, we should have bought it 20 years ago (laughs) or whatever. Well, I I had a quote that I put on Instagram a couple of weeks ago and um, hopefully I'm not butchering it, but I think it said the best time to buy real estate was 20 years ago. The second time, second best time to buy is now, right? So it's never too late. Okay. So Let's talk about lifestyle a little bit. Um, I know that you love traveling. I obviously have said that I have the travel bug. You've mentioned time in Costa Rica. I thought I overheard you say at a recent networking event that you'd like to make a permanent move outside. Like, it, uh, did I mishear that? Like, what's what's your goals? Well, part time, I'd love to live in Costa Rica. I'm kind of done with Winnipeg. Well, I don't live in Winnipeg. I live outside the city, but I'm kind of done with winter here. Um, so I was there. I was away for six weeks, 25 days was nice. uh, in Costa Rica. Um, never mind just enjoying it, but I worked from there too. So because my business is as it is, I can work anywhere. Absolutely. And I have boots on the ground here, so um, it doesn't need to be me. Uh, my son and I met there as well too, and we uh, traveled around and looked at different properties that you know we may look at buying. And so that will be an investment as well, though. Um, we're looking for something that's got you know several units on it, something we can build onto it, and something we can all go down and stay in as well as our investors. Okay, so do you think that would be more of a snowbird type thing, or do you think you would make a permanent move down there? Uh, I don't know, because my family's here, you know, you always still want to be here. And I love our summers here. And uh, so I guess I'd always be in Manitoba (laughs) part-time. If you could um, pick up the phone and talk to the 20-year-old version of yourself, what would you tell them 
to make the next 10 years of their life successful. Hmm. You didn't give me that question in advance. <laughs> uh, I got to throw you some curveballs here. <laughs> uh, I guess mostly I think it would be make better plans instead of just going along, like actually make those uh, goals. Nobody really talked about goal setting that much then. And, uh, and then get into real estate sooner. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's both being, what do they say, proactive, not reactive, right? Every, any business uh, needs that for sure. Okay, so we're at the end of the, the interview here, but, um, and you know this one's coming because I ask it every guest, and I, but I, I do want to hear what you have to say. So this is the Investing to Win podcast. How do you define success and what does winning look like for you? Well, winning, let's say if we're talking about rent to own, would be the win, 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 the tenant, the investor, myself. But I also talk to my investors. What are their goals? How do we align? And so to me, that's success. And then, of course, our lifestyles, you know, our personal lifestyles have to uh, align with that as well. You know, health and um, fitness and family and that is the most important. And long as we can um, arrange our business life around that, then that's a win-win. I couldn't agree more. And that is a great place to stop. Donna, on behalf of the investor community, I would like to thank you for hanging out with me today and a very, very insightful conversation. And I learned tons and I know our audience did too. Well, thanks so much for having me and, and getting the strategy out there because not that many people know about it. Absolutely. No, it's a lot of value. And again, being a podcast, I'm sure this is going to get a ton of downloads. <laughs> that would be great. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Hey, bye. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Investing to Win podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of another investor, take a screenshot and share this podcast episode with them. Investing to Win is not only about helping you to win more. But WIN actually stands for Wise Investors Network. It's where we help our investors build a hands-off portfolio and have passive investments work for them. To see how you can potentially partner with us, go to www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest to learn more. Once again, the link is www.upperedgecapital.com forward slash invest. All links can be found in the description below. Until next time.